Welcome back, everybody. It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show, which means that we're going to get into our 20 million movement Bible study. 20 million people all studying the Bible at the same time, and you can be a part of that today right here on Faith FM. Before we do, a couple of things to talk about very quickly. Just a reminder that the N.Digital will be following the show today, so do stay tuned if you missed it last night. And if you didn't miss it last night, then you've got the opportunity for a refresher this morning. So do stay tuned to the N.Digital and have a listen. Listen to all of what we talked about last night. Justin had a, just an absolute, no, Sharissa, I should say, had a sensational presentation uh, last evening and we had a really good discussion afterwards. Some just fantastic questions that came through with the live question and answer time. Uh, got some really uh, some some good regulars coming on there and 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 chatting with us. Okay, so um, do join us each evening. Next week, start coming back Tuesday next week, 7.30 in the evening, the end dot digital. So once you get the kids to bed, then uh, tune in to the end dot digital and we're up and away. Let's go in our Bibles and let's dig up Mark chapter 8. And we will start reading in verse 31. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. While we're turning there, just want to remind everybody that uh, if you'd like to get a better signal on Faith FM, if you're struggling a little bit somewhere online, then simply download the app. The app is absolutely amazing. It'll give you a crystal clear signal wherever you are, and you won't have to worry about uh, a scratchy signal. And there's a whole bunch of other features there. You can listen to past shows. You can even make a contribution to Faith FM. We've got a bunch of licenses around the country that we've not been able to put transmitters up. And so maybe you can get a license in your area or a transmitter in your area or make a contribution to somebody else putting up a transmitter in their area. There's a whole bunch of these places where, you know, there's no church, there's no members, there's no nothing, but there are people who need to hear the Word of God. Mm. And we own the license for that area and we could put a transmitter there if somebody just simply helped us out with a little bit of uh, finances. And so, yeah, we always do appreciate that when that happens. Okay, where are we up to? We are in... Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Mark 8, verse 31. Let's go. So it says, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Right. Interesting uh, story right here because Peter end up ends up getting called Satan. Yeah, very intense. You know, by Jesus. By Jesus. How would you feel? I mean, You're a disciple of Jesus. I mean, you are a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> but what if Jesus turned up at the dorm next week and is like, get behind me, Satan, to you. To me, I, oh, it, it's, Jesus is like the one person that that is the authority. <laughs> Anything he says is, is, is pretty much like I would be like, oh, man, what, what have I done? I've, who am I? <laughs> I don't know. I would find that devastating, <laughs> just absolutely devastating. You know, it's one thing for, uh, you know, somebody – somebody you know that i know or maybe even a friend to say you know to call me something really nasty and bad and that, and and satan kind of tops the list i don't think you can get anything nastier or badder than being called satan but if jesus turned up and called me satan i'd have to go away and do a lot of really serious heart searching that would stick me with me for a very very long time yeah 
it stick with me forever. <laughs> okay, so Jesus, this is an interesting situation. So Jesus, you know, he's heading back to uh, Jerusalem. He's been away for a while, and you know, Peter's like, um, you know, uh, let's 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 not go there. You know, it's dangerous and so forth. The disciples all recognize that it's dangerous, and Jesus starts to explain to them about his death and resurrection. Mm. Now, what's interesting is that the Pharisees and the rulers of Jerusalem, they were either there or they knew about it. Now, there's every possibility that, of course, Judas passed the information on because he was the insider, he was the double agent, he was the spy amongst the group. And so there's every possibility that that Judas has passed this information on, so either they've heard it or they've heard about it. Because they hear about it and they're like, well, let's place a guard over the tomb uh, because Jesus said that he'd be raised after three days and so they send Roman soldiers out there. You would think that likewise, and even more so, the disciples who believed in Jesus would head out to the tomb to see the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. I kind of think that, you know, if if Jesus um, if Jesus came to me and... Jesus uh, said, you know, this is what's going to happen in the future and it was going to be something pretty spectacular and pretty exciting and special and I saw the first half of it happen, it would be a really good reason to go out there and to say, okay, so he said he'd die and he'd be dead for three days and he'd raise on the third day. Let's go out there for the whole third day and let's see what happens. But they don't. It's almost like the Pharisees believe more in Jesus than what the disciples do. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a commentary on human nature right here. And, of course, the Pharisees took this very, very seriously. Um, I would say, my guess is, and I'm just speculating, mm. I reckon Judas passed the information on. Judas like, yeah, you yeah. know, this, this, is what, this is what's been said. He's already prophesied that you're going to kill him. Even though Judas didn't think in his heart, I don't believe that they would, that Jesus would allow it to happen. Mm. But... You know, he's making friends on both sides of the camp. He's got a foot in both camps. Always a painful place to be. And probably distrusted by the Pharisees. And when a person is distrusted and they're trying to win trust, they usually say too much. Mm. You know, they usually open up. It's like, hey, you can ask me anything you want. Let me share with you the whole thing. And they would just state it how it is. Yeah. And the Pharisees would have had a very good inside insight into what Jesus had been talking about. Yeah. So the Pharisees, I mean, the Pharisees kind of believe it. The disciples don't believe it at all. I don't think the Pharisees so believed that Jesus would come back from the dead. They, they thought that maybe the disciples would exactly, do something. Exactly. And I'm so glad that the Pharisees sent that Roman guard. Yeah. Because if they hadn't sent that Roman guard, and if we didn't have the testimony of that Roman guard, then everybody today, and even back then, would have been like, yeah, you know what? Mm. It, it was just somebody stole the, stole the body. Was, yeah, yeah. But because there was a Roman guard there, and, of course, a Roman guard is 100 men, so that's pretty significant. Oh. You know, you've got a lot of testimony right there. <laughs> um, you've got 100 men surrounding that tomb, and all of them witness the resurrection. None of the disciples do, and all of them get paid off. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that is, that's pretty significant right there. 
Uh, and they get paid off to tell a lie that should have cost them their lives, but it didn't cost them their lives. They should have been executed for going to sleep on guard duty, but they weren't. And what's also interesting is that the people who hired them, the Jewish leaders who hired them, didn't take them to court for neglecting what they had been paid to do. You know, if I hire somebody to do a job and they don't do it, then I want my money back. Yeah, but rather than getting their money back, they're actually getting more money. Yeah, and I think if they were executed, that would that would be kind of saying, oh, Jesus actually was resurrected and we're trying to keep it quiet, I guess. Yeah, there's so much speculation that can come out of it. There is. There so. is. Hmm. What is very clear and what is and what both sides of the argument agree on is that come Sunday morning, that tomb was empty. The disciples claimed that. The Jewish leaders, the enemies of Jesus, claimed that. And the Roman soldiers who were actually there claimed that. They all agreed on that one fact. All right, let's see. What have we got here? Um, Let's go to Mark chapter 10. So we find here the disciples were kind of blind to what was going on. I mean, they were seriously blind because Jesus tells them the plainest, simplest language possible exactly what's going to happen. And they're not believing it. But not everybody's blind. As Jesus heads this direction, he comes through Jericho. And let's read this story Let's start in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. We'll read a couple of verses here. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Okay, it's a great story right here. I, I do enjoy reading this story, <laughs> yeah. and uh, particularly the part where um, they tell him to shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of hilarious. Uh, and, 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 of course, there they, you know. But anyway, let's go back to the beginning of it. You've got Bartimaeus, and you kind of wonder, you know, this is not Jesus' first trip to Jericho. Where was Bartimaeus the first time? I don't know. Why wasn't Bartimaeus healed the first time? I, I Once again, I don't know. Mm. But while the disciples are spiritually blind here, you've got somebody who's physically blind and he really wants to see. Yeah, He desperately wants to see. He hears Jesus coming. And so what does he do about it? Does he go running out to meet Jesus? He, he yells. He yells. He gets his attention. He can't go running. No, no. Because he's blind. Yeah. That's right. He yells. And the people are like, he's annoying them. They're trying to have a meeting with Jesus. It's like, be quiet. You're a distraction here at the moment. You know, just you know, stop making so much noise. Yeah. And just yells the louder. Kind of reminds me of some people in church when uh, kids play up oh, and they get upset. Yeah, come on. <laughs> seriously, it still happens. It seriously still happens. You know what? There is nothing worse than a church in which you can't hear kids playing up. You know why? 
Why? Because that's church that's dead because there's no kids there. Because mm. it's the nature of kids to play up. They will play up. Yeah. No matter what. No matter how well they are raised or what angels they are, they're going to play up and there's going to be noise if you've got kids in church. Mm -hmm. And you get people like, oh, you should be treating those kids to be, uh, you know, quiet and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, you really need to just uh, get your kids and involve them in the church service as much as you can anyway. Mm. Um, But I've seen it so many times and it can be devastating for parents. And I know so many parents are like, I'll come to church once my kids are old enough. Yeah. And then often they'll only come for Sabbath school, and once Sabbath school is over, they just go home. Yeah. And it's such a tragedy. Yeah. I don't know how I'll get sidetracked onto this, but it is a massive tragedy. No, it's really sad. Let's see what we got here in the the text messages. I believe that the disciples were taken over by fear and their minds went into neutral, as it will happen in the last days to most of his followers. Okay, so I think this is in reference to what we were talking about when Jesus said, you know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be uh, crucified there. That, yeah, I actually think this is a valid point that, you know, they kind of blocked this out. The brain does that when something really, really traumatic happens. And so they blocked out a lot of what Jesus said. And when they went into fear over that uh, crucifixion weekend, and the Bible says that they were hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews. They were gathered there in the upper room for fear of the Jews. And even when they heard these rumors that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, they still didn't believe that it was possible. And they still didn't even think about what Jesus had said, the prophecy he had made, while the Pharisees were very, very aware of it. They really, they were really surprised. Like they didn't expect the mission of Christ to be like this. They no, they expected something di- different. Yes, they were looking for Jesus to be proclaimed king mm. and to conquer the Romans and establish the Jewish Empire that would last forever here on this earth mm. and make them the number one nation in the world. That was what they saw the Messiah to be. But that was not what the Messiah was about. The Messiah was all about salvation and establishing the kingdom of heaven. Okay, coming back to Bartimaeus, though, you've got this um, whole story here. And, you know, we can see the mercy that Jesus shows here. Okay, so now let's stop and consider how the blind man's desire to see leads to his decision to follow Jesus on the way or on the road to Jerusalem. He is not afraid to follow Jesus to Jerusalem, is he? No. He's not afraid. In fact, he's yelling out and people are telling him to shut up. And he's just, the more they tell him to shut up, the more he yells. He encouraged himself. Um, And, of course, receives healing. Why do you think he is unafraid to follow Jesus to Jerusalem while the disciples are afraid? It seems that even though he was physically blind, there was something he saw. And I'm not quite sure what he saw. (laughs) Probably... I, I'm, do you think he heard the preachings of Jesus? Like he sounded like I guess he sounded pretty confident, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. He sounded like I mean, he called him the son of David. So I'm assuming mm. he he knew that you know that the Messiah, the son of David, was here to. I mean, there's a prophecy that that said that he's here to see, you know set the blind no set the prisoners free. And that's a really interesting point that you just raised. I'd never thought of that before. Yeah, he yeah. calls him the son of David. Mm. So this guy knew enough about Jesus, yeah, to know Jesus' genealogy. Mm-hmm. He knew that he was the son of David, and then that's interesting. 
Because, I mean, I think there are a lot of Christians who um, know so little about their Bibles today that they wouldn't know that Jesus was descended from David. Mm. And, you know, even if you ask them like a, a, a trick question like, well, was he descended from David through his father's line or, for, or through his mother's line? A lot of Christians would be like, ah, whereas the actual correct answer is both. Mm. So he knows a fair bit about Jesus. Yeah. That's interesting. Never thought of that before. The, okay, so here's another question then. If he had heard Jesus preach in the past, why didn't he be asked, asked to be healed last time? Hmm. So maybe he's heard more about Jesus than he's actually heard Jesus. Mm. You know, one of these these are the kind of interesting questions that we're going to have to ask Bartimaeus one day and say, tell us that whole story. You know, Jesus went to Jericho and had a great impact on Zacchaeus' life. Why, why didn't you come for healing then? Mm. Maybe, maybe the first time that Jesus goes there and he heals uh, Zacchaeus of his moral corruption. Yeah. Maybe what happens is that Jesus was a bit unknown, and it wasn't till after Jesus left that Bartimaeus actually realised the extent of the opportunity he had lost. Yeah. Mm. And now you're a couple of years further down the track. Jesus turns up in Jericho again, and he's like, "I'm not going to wait a couple more years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask right now." Yeah. And when people tell him to shut up, he's like. Nothing no. <laughs> nothing is going to stop me now. Exactly. Nothing is going to stop me from receiving, you know, the grace of Jesus Christ, the healing power of Jesus Christ. Uh, the more you tell me to shut up, the more I'm going to yell. And you can kind of see him yelling there on the side of the road and then the Bible says, "What did they what did they say? They came to him and what did they say?" <laughs> they said they said, "Hey, cheer up. Come on. He's calling you." <laughs> Ah. So you can imagine this huge crowd and Jesus is like, wait, 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 go get Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, he doesn't hear that because he's too far away. And so he's just still yelling. He can't see what Jesus is doing. He has no idea. But he's just yelling and yelling and yelling and yelling. And they're like, wait, 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 Bartimaeus. You're getting your opportunity. He's coming for you. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. This is Breakfast Show. You are with Lyle and Renee as we get into our Bible study. Of course, uh, we're in the middle of the end. Digital, and of course, continuing next Tuesday at seven thirty in the evening. Facebook, YouTube, or the website, the end. Digital, all about America and the end. If you are interested in what is happening in America right now, you need to be listening to that particular show. Renee, yes. Let's read. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. While we're turning there, somebody's made this uh, observation, uh, has come in via the text message, and of course we'd love to hear from you guys. And of course, earlier during our interview, we had uh, Dr. Paul Wood join us to talk about dementia. We have a book here from uh, one of uh, his colleagues, Dr. Uh, Darren Morton, who has written the book uh, Live More... Live More Happy. Live More Happy which is so important because um, Dr. Paul Woods was talking about the role that depression plays in dementia. Mm. And so if you can live more happy and make certain lifestyle changes to make that happen, then that's going to have an amazing impact on your life. Uh, So that book is available right now. If you can answer the clue to this quiz, what book is this? 
Okay, coming through on the text message, uh, could it be that Bartimaeus' faith was not strong enough to believe Jesus could heal him when Jesus met him the first time? Hmm. You kind of wonder about that, don't you? You know, Jesus turns up and you're like, well, who is this guy? You've got this famous teacher. We've heard a lot about him. We've even heard of miracles, but I was born blind, you know. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, People have been healed from diseases before, but not from things that they've been born with. And maybe he just sort of sat there and listened and didn't do it. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. But we do know this. When Jesus came back, Bartimaeus latched onto that opportunity like as if it was his last. Mm. As it turned out, it was his last. Mm. And this is how we should always approach Jesus. We should latch onto Jesus whenever we get the opportunity as if it's our last opportunity. You kind of never know when it'll be your last opportunity. So grab Jesus while you can and like Jacob did, just tell him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Mm. All right, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14. Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14, and it says, You have been believers for so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know what to do, uh, how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have been, who have skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Okay, so what are some of the deepest books of the Bible? The deepest books? Yeah, like the really deepest ones. Um, I'd say like Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel, keep going. Uh-huh. Um, I'd say maybe like Exodus with the law as uh-huh. well. Yeah. What about Romans? Okay, yes, absolutely. I would say de- like you have to include Paul's books. What about Hebrews? Hebrews, Romans. <laughs> oh. Hebrew, these these are these are these are got like good. way depth. Yeah, you know, way 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 deep books, and so I find it interesting. You got this passage actually in Hebrews, you know, where Paul comes along and says, you know, um, you guys are just you need milk. You should be on hard food. You should be on solids by now, but you need milk. And he then proceeds to like, well, seeing as you should be on solids, let me give you solids. And he launches into the rest of Hebrews, which is which is all really, really solid stuff. And so when we look at this particular passage that we've got right here, um, and Paul is saying, look, you ought to be teachers, but you need somebody to teach you. Hmm. Is Paul speaking to us? Is there a message for us there? I think so. Yeah. What is the message that there is for us? I guess... So it's talking about spiritual growth. That's right. And so we need to, I get, yeah, we need to grow spiritually. We need to move on to the to the solid stuff. Absolutely. And sometimes there's a little bit of a trap here because sometimes people will come to the deeper books of the Bible, Daniel, Revelation, um, the writings of Paul, etc. And the temptation is like, oh, that's just way deep and throw it in the too hard basket mm. and kind of leave it there. And, you know, maybe focus on the Gospels or if you're a historian like me, focus on the, you know, the historical books of the Bible. Mm. 
but there is a depth in Scripture that we need to be looking at and we need to be stretching our minds. And this is one of the things that's interesting that uh, in the context of our interview, because Dr. Paul Woods was saying one of the greatest protections that we can do and can have for dementia is education. And I would put it forward that there is a healing power in memorizing scripture, in making it a part of, you know, in disciplining the brain to read and to memorize the Bible. It will heal your brain. Mm. I remember reading the testimony of a guy that had a brain disease. And of course, you know, he was suffering from just, you know, he's a young person. And this particular disease had eaten away his brain so it looked like Swiss cheese. This is shot full of holes. Mm. And the doctors are like, okay, you're going to have impaired cognitive function for the rest of your life and you'll probably end up like a vegetable. And so he's like, okay, what do I do? What, 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 what can I actually do right now to help my situation? And he had heard that the memorization of Scripture heals the brain, has a healing effect on the brain. And so like, all right, if that is the case, um, if that is the case, then I will actually uh, start memorizing Scripture and see if it makes a difference. And within 12 months of memorizing Scripture, his brain was functioning perfectly. Wow. He had no cognitive impairment at all. And a lot of the Swiss cheesing effect that was in his brain had been healed just by memorizing Scripture. Hmm. Incredibly powerful testimony that we've got right there. Uh, somebody texted through that was listening to the end last night just to say, I can't believe what amazing presentations are in America in the end. Sharissa uh, excelled with the presentation she gave last night. Also, the quality of the questions that come in are really deep. People are really thinking and questioning really great. It's true. Um, we talk about it each evening after question time and we're just like, you know what? Just Wow. <laughs> These questions are full-on questions. I really enjoyed last night because it gave us an opportunity to actually, you know, to really dig into what the Bible said last night and to turn to a whole bunch of different Bible passages that we could read and just let the Bible speak for itself in relationship to end-time events. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Now it is time for... Question of the day. All right, so our question of the day today is all about the Song of Solomon, and people are asking, why does the Song of Solomon have, why does this book of the Bible have more than one name? So in some Bibles, it's called Song of Solomon. Mm -hmm. In other Bibles, it's called Song of Songs. In other Bibles, it's called Canticles. And in some Bibles, it's called Canticle of Canticles. Oh. <laughs> so which one is the correct name for the book? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the literal translation is song or hymn of hymns. In other words, out of all of the Psalms, this is the greatest of the Psalms. The Latin word for hymn comes from the word canticle. Hence, canticles has come across into... Yeah, kind of some of the very older English translations that have sort of continued that Latin tradition through. 
And so that's where you either get canticles or canticle of canticles. So it is the the name simply means the greatest of the psalms. And this is kind of why, you know, you've got all these other psalms that are in the book of Psalms, and then you've got, and in the psalms, you've got some that are psalms of David, some that are psalms of Asaph, some that are psalms of Solomon, but then you've got this one that's got its own book all to itself because it is considered to be the greatest of them all. Now that's interesting because that creates a whole bunch of controversy when the Bible proclaims that this one is the greatest of the psalms. Hmm. You see, this is a really controversial book. Yeah. There are a lot of people who have tried to have it removed from the Bible. What's the reason? Because it's about, well, it's a whole book of erotica. Oh, yeah, yeah. And sexuality. <laughs> and prudish Christians have been like, oh, well, you know, that's something we don't ever talk about. That's something we don't have anything to do with. And they have implied through their actions and their words that there is something innately wrong with, uh, oh. about the sexual act. Oh. You know, the reality is that I've never preached a sermon on the Song of Solomon. I've never preached that sermon in the church. Because I think we all suddenly kind of feel uncomfortable about it. But God is not uncomfortable talking about yeah. it. And this is one of the great things about Song of Solomon is that without it the book would be inc- the Bible would be incomplete. Because the Bible addresses every aspect of what it means to be a human being. And our sexuality as human beings has such a major role to play in our lives and really does can, I should say, control a lot of what we do. Mm. And if God didn't address that and he just gave us a couple of don'ts in the books of Matthew and, and sorry, the books of Moses and left it at that, you know, it would be pretty empty. And she's like, well, there's a few don'ts here. You know, people love to read the don'ts without reading the do's. Uh, here's your homework for this afternoon. Go and read the book Song of Solomon. It's amazing. And, you know, it's one of those areas in which we need to differentiate between pornography and obscenity. Because when we talk about erotica today, because there is so much pornography and obscenity in our world, we confuse those words together. Mm. And that's where our brain automatically goes because our brain has been perverted by the way that Satan has perverted sexuality. Pornography and obscenity are condemned in the Bible, and you've got this whole book of very, very sensual erotica. And, you know, it doesn't hold back. It is explicit, Mm. you know. Um, It's got some pretty full-on word pictures that uh, describe, you know, all kinds of things. Very passionate. Pretty much every kind of passion that there is in sexuality, and that's because God loves sexuality. He loves erotica. He loves human beings in a marriage relationship to enjoy each other's company and to enjoy being able to share that company through sexual intimacy. And so he gave us a whole book all about it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.